The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. I wish this, if you would open your scriptures this morning to Mark 8 and turn to verse 27. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the town of um, Caesarea Philippi and on the road he asked his disciples saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others say one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. When he had called the people to whom? Himself. With his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life, he will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Okay, we're reiterating that again. Got it in your mind? Now let's turn to First Peter. Uh, 2, verse 11. Maybe keep your finger or pen in something in both places. 2, verse Peter 2, 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fresh, fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. And when they speak against you as evildoers, they may be, by your good works which they observe, glorify God on the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it is the king is supreme or to the governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and to the gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. But what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable for God, before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. 
who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Dear Lord Jesus, we ask today that you might come and meet our hearts. And we just pray you might break open the word to our hearts. This isn't an easy passage of scripture, Jesus. And some of the sayings in it are hard sayings. And Lord, who can hear them? So we pray today that you might open up our ears to hear what you have to say. You might soften our hearts and that you might open our eyes to the things of God and the things of the Spirit. And Father, there is no way that I'm adequate today to share or to teach from these words. So we just come to you, dear Lord Jesus, and say, would you please teach us? And that we all wait together as sisters at thy feet. And that you might come and feed your sheep. And that your Holy Spirit might even break open this passage of scripture. So that when we leave here we will know that we have been taught by Jesus. We just praise you Father. We worship you. And Lord we lift Tammy's brother to you. We pray today that even as she shared the enemy could not get hold of him in a deeper way. But there would be a deeper release. Today would be the day he just comes home to Jesus. And Lord, even as we think of Paul, we think Jesus of every one of the ones on our own hearts, even in this moment, that we carry. And Lord, we just pause right now. Just lift the ones on your hearts that you're carrying in your own soul. We lift them to you right now. Oh, Jesus, even in this moment, you touch their hearts and let their hearts be drawn toward thee. If they're driving, if they're at work, if they're watching TV, if they're talking. Lord, even at this moment, let them sense the presence of the eternal God drawing them to themselves, to yourself. And Jesus said eternity will be different because they will come to you. Lord, thank you that you are a prayer answering God. Thank you that nothing is too difficult for thee. Lord, let us be women of prayer. Women ought always to pray and not to faint. In Jesus, we praise you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Can all of you hear me in the back? Sometimes I get softer and softer. Um, I w- let us look today at this. I wanted to keep in mind Mark 8. The key verses from last week that we read as well, where Peter recognizes that Jesus is the Christ, but then on the same hand, he does not want, when Jesus begins to lay out the cross, Peter says, oh Lord, isn't there another way? That's not what I have in mind. There's another thing that I'd like to have you do. I want you to ride in on a silver chariot, take over and zap the Romans and set up your righteous kingdom and I will be your first prime minister and John can be your second.
And that's a little bit how you and I look at the gospel too. We don't mind Jesus being in our hearts, but to have him Lord of our lives. And then immediately when we get hold of God as being the Lord of all and the Lord of my life and your life, immediately the cross begins to resurrect its face in our life and in your life and in my life. And there's something in us and something in our flesh that recoils against this. The way of the cross leads home, but the way of the cross is not easy. And so let's look at this today. The first part of the book of Peter deals with just as he is whole, um, over here in 2 where it says, Be ye holy, as he has called you as holy, so be ye holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And the theme of the book is holiness unto the Lord. Just like it's over Asbury College's uh, in Hughes Auditorium, over the front of Hughes, holiness unto the Lord, that we're to be a holy people. So the whole first couple of chapters up to 2.11 deal with my relationship with God. And I'm to have a holy heart and walk in holiness with God. Now the book takes a dramatic change in 2.11. And instead of dealing just with my relationship where Jesus becomes Lord of my life and I walk in holiness before him this way, then Peter begins to meddle. And he begins to say, I want to tell you what it means to be a holy people this way. Because you and I don't really know what's happened in our heart. Other people don't know what's happened in my heart this way. It's very private. Because nobody, we all live in our own little worlds. But it is in relationships that the dynamic that something has occurred in my heart begins to flesh itself out. And it is in the relationships of life that we can see whether something really did occur in my heart and really did occur in your heart and that others can see it. And when holiness is not just talked about this way but begins to flesh itself out in daily relationships, then we get a clear indication of where we actually are and other people get a clear indication. Now it's interesting, he starts here, Beloved. If you and I are going to start in our relationships and have holy relationships, he says, let me remind you that you are beloved. Now sometimes when your mom talked to you when you were growing up and she had some serious things to say to you and she wanted to be very careful how she said them, how did she, did she, she didn't use the same tone of voice she did when she said, Elizabeth Ann and I knew I was in the doghouse. But when she needed to share with me that I had done something that needed to be corrected, it was, now, honey, now I know you didn't mean this, but do you realize how you... And she started very tender, very loving, because she needed to correct me, and she needed to lay out some difficult things. Did your mom do that? Maybe you do it. You have to talk to your young teenager or your little one. Say, honey... Next time, don't, don't use all the joy when you help me with dishes. You just need a capful. But honey, you did a fine job, but just a little correction. Just a capful will do it. Honey, just next time. This is just time to, don't want to break the spirit, but you do need to give some adjustment. This is what I think Peter's doing here. Beloved. Beloved. 
because he has some things to say to us. Now, the, and it's interesting to me that he says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from freshly lusts. Now, where does he talk to us in, already in this book about being sojourners and pilgrims? When he started the last section. Because he is trying to say, if you and I are going to live a holy life, we need to remember to whom we belong and where we're going and where our citizenship is. And this is not our home. We are marching to a different drum, to a different drummer, better said. So that he says, beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, we don't belong here and we do not live our lifestyle according to the culture around us. Key point. We do not live our lifestyle according to the culture around us. We are living our lifestyle. We are taking our attitudes and our direction from our Heavenly Father and from our home country. And so we are marching to a different drummer. So that he says, one key thing, if you are going to have a holy lifestyle and live out holiness of heart in your relationships, you must remember that this world is not our home. We are passing through and the best is yet to come. So he said, these are the same two words that they use, he used in the Old Testament uses about Abraham. When Abraham left all and followed God. And he went from Ur of the Chaldees and went into a whole new land just following the, the whole, the heavenly, his heavenly Father. And it is the same sense of we are not marching to the beat of this world. We live differently because we have a heavenly inheritance that is unfading and corruptible and is waiting in heaven for us. And it told, Peter told us about it in the first chapter. So he said, remember... We are different people because we have a different we are we have a different father. We are going to a different home. This is not it. And because of this citizen, heavenly citizenship, we are to abstain from fleshly lusts. We are to not get our agenda from the culture around us. We are to get our agenda from God himself through the, his holy word and we are not to let our souls be stained by the world around us. Now, this doesn't mean just sexual sins. This can mean anything that blunts our ardor for the things of God. Remember Susanna Wesley's challenge to um, her sons when they went for, to Oxford? She said, anything that diminishes your ardor for God and causes you to cease to desire to pray, to you that is sin. To you that is sin. There's something that needs to come in your life and our life that there are some things that may be legitimate. There's some things that may be good. There's some things that may be all right. But we need to say, no, I cannot partake in that because it will blunt my ardor and my spiritual fervor for the things of God. And we've talked about it before. What do you read? What do you look at on TV? What do you give yourself to? What is the passion of your heart? Is the passion Jesus Christ? And so that we need to guard our hearts so that we do not stain our hearts and that we can hear our heavenly shepherd and we can live our lives according to his plan. 
Now you remember the sower, the parable of the sower, and he said when the thorns come in and choke out the life of Christ, there are three things that choke out Christ's life in the life of a believer, and they make believers unfruitful. And I think this is what happens in our Christian commit, uh, commitment today in evangelical America. The first one was, remember the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and pleasure. The cares of this world. We need to remember, even in the nitty-gritty of our life, that we do not have to carry all the cares of this world. We have one who goes alongside us and the Holy Spirit himself will care, help us in the cares of this world. I do not need to be distraught about them. I need to bring them to Jesus and let Jesus work on them. We do not need to be in a fervor and a fever over riches whether we've got them or we don't. We need to take Matthew 6 and live in it every day and just said, Father, here's a physical, financial need and I am coming to you to meet it. I do not need to fall apart over finances nor try to make something out of myself. I don't have to because my Heavenly Father is taking care of me. And we need to be, watch what we indulge in in pleasure so that it does not take my heart away from the things of God, but draws me closer into the heart of God. Now, this is where I see many times where we start out in the walk with God, but we soon, very soon, are caught up into the uh, ambiente, the atmosphere around us, so that we're caught into the atmosphere around us, and we don't proceed to go forward like people that belong to Jesus Christ. And if you begin to live for God and begin to let trust God with finances, with your cares, with your family, with your life, with your lifestyle, you will march against the tide. And you will begin to get some, well, why are you doing that? I can remember when Al and I were going to graduate school. And we'd gone to the mission field. And I remember his... his his daddy was precious. He was a doctor and he, he was a Christian. But he thought, now you need to stop doing all this crazy stuff. You need to just, I mean, settle down and get a job. And he said, well, I can't yet, daddy. I feel that God's calling me to Latin America to teach in a seminary. Oh, well, all right. So we did that for four years. And then he said, I feel like God's calling us to go on and get more training so that I could teach with a Ph.D. in seminary. He said, well, I think you've got enough school. Settle down and get a job. Do something. Normal people just settle down and get a job. You've got all the schooling you need. He said, well, I know that's probably true, but I can't because God's calling me. Oh, well, why doesn't he call someone else, Al? Well, I'd like him to, Daddy, but he's calling us. So I remember when we got ready to go to grad school, he, he, it was with some skepticism that we set off. And he said, well, I, think, I just think you're going to have to set out on your own on this. So we sought the Lord. And I remember we ex were accepted in a grad school in America. But then there was also an opportunity that came up to go to grad school overseas in Great Britain. And, we've, and one was in New Old Testament and one was in Wesley Studies, two different programs. So we were wondering whether God wanted us in Old Testament or Wesley Studies. And um, 
it was interesting. We got accepted in America with a scholarship and and in Old Testament studies at a, at a wonderful university. And do you know what? Our hearts didn't have a peace. Now how do you tell that to Al's daddy? Full scholarship? In fact, after we'd been in Great Britain a month, they even sent us medical insurance and gave us $3,000 to live on. I mean, and I remember sitting in England and thinking, Jesus, are you sure we didn't make a big mistake here? <laughs> and so we said, but we didn't have a peace. So it was the middle of August. Do you know how embarrassing it is to be the middle of August when the school start? in September and you go to a family camp meeting and everybody at the camp meeting says now where will you be this fall well well last year we were in Latin America but we're not sure where we're going to be this fall and everyone says well do you know it's only like two weeks away yeah we realize that but well which part of the world are you going to be in well we're not sure if we'll be in this part of the world or another continent well we really oh and there's some things that the world does not understand about a Christian who is trying to march by a celestial city, by a heavenly drummer. And so we didn't have a piece about this full cost scholarship in Old Testament studies. So what did we do? After we went to Indian Springs camp meeting and afterward, some people stayed to pray with us. We said, could you stay an extra day and fast and pray with us? They'd love to. One of them was Tom Halfords, Jan's husband. My folks stayed. Another couple stayed. And so we spent the day, the other wife and I, we had like four or five children between us, so we fasted and prayed on the run. But the husbands went off and fasted and prayed, and we prayed and as we just cared for babies and wiped noses and did all the things mothers do. And at the end of the day, we all got back together, and then we said, what do you think? And we went around the circle and every one of us had a piece that no, we were to ask Jesus that if he opened the door, we were to go to Great Britain. So Al called because we had not heard from Great Britain. Al called the university and the university, the head said, well, term doesn't start, and start until the end of October. So he said, you can, but it looks favorable. You, we, but our committee doesn't meet till like the middle of October. We had to be in Baltimore mid September 3rd. So we went back to prayer and said, Lord, do we give up a bird in the hand for what we think is you in the bush? And we had no finances. We were trusting him. Somebody said, well, will Beth work? And I said, and I said, no. Because I felt like I had two little girls. I, I said, no. I said, let's just trust Jesus. And if, it, if she has to work, I won't get the Ph.D. Because we'll never have these five years again. They were just two and one and two. And so, uh, so we said, let's, we'll try. So we wrote and we, we had, it looks favorable. Come on. And so we went on with a deep peace in our heart. He provided enough to get over there and enough for the first month. 
And then we began Operation Trust Jesus. Operation Trust Jesus. Do you know that we did not know what God was doing behind the scenes, though? He provided a flat for us, a beautiful apartment the first year. The gal next door to us was Indonesian. Brilliant, brilliant woman. I've told you about Judith. She found the Lord at the end of the year. Got in a tremendous Bible study. And when we got there, after he did get accepted, they said, we, you've got to write three-fourths, you've got to write a paper to see if you can come back the next year. Nobody else had to write a paper. And I remember sitting there and thinking, Jesus, you, this is not easy. Why do we have to write papers and why do we kind of get in by the skin of our teeth and other people just kind of come in with all expenses paid and they don't get in by the I said, it's just kind of humiliating. And Jesus said, you know, that's a little bit like what it is to walk with me. It's not always neat and tidy. Because there can come something in your life when you know literally that he is caring for you and you have stepped out on a limb seeking to obey him, whether I perish, I perish, that God begins to move in and not only does he does, some, does something in your heart, he begins to move heaven and earth because he said those two people are crazy enough to just leave all and just like Abraham set out on me. And if I don't go take care of them, they're going to make a mess out of it. So we found ourselves over there in that program and Al worked day and night because he had to have this big paper. Do you know what? At the end of two years we realized that he had, he had his dissertation done in two years. Never did that ever happen at this university. Never. And he went back for his orals and he passed. And then we said, now, Lord, where do we go? And we applied and applied here, there, and everywhere. Every door closed except a part-time teaching position at Eastern Nazarene in Massachusetts. And, then, and for him to do postdoctoral research with Timothy Smith on American Methodism. And he had the English side of the Wesleyan revival, and then God gave him an American side. So we found ourselves in Hull, Massachusetts with a part-time teaching position while he, his professor taught at John Hopkins but lived in Boston and taught out and took him as a student. It's interesting to see what God did. And do you know what? All we can do when we look at that PhD program is say there is no way we could have gotten in there is no way we could have stayed. There is no way we could have gotten out except through divine intervention of the eternal God. And one thing was interesting. Before we went over to England, one of the professors from that university came and took was at Asbury Seminary and we were living here while we were waiting. And Al had lunch with him. And we did not know that he had the leading chair at the university. He had the oldest chair at the university, the Lady Margaret chair. So 
Al said to him, he was thinking of Wesley's studies, and, and Professor Moles said, well, I know. You write out all your things and give me all your papers. Give them to me, and I will take them back to Gordon Rupp. This is his area, and we'll just, he, I think he'd take, I think he'd be interested in you as a student. Well, do you know, we didn't know who the man was. We didn't know Gordon Rupp. But the oldest, the, the most prestigious professor takes back Al's papers, hands them to Gordon Rupp, his personal friend. Rupp thinks that Al is a personal friend of this most prestigious professor, which we just met him in this lunch. And so he takes no other students that year but Al Coppage because he's on sabbatical. He sends him to, uh, to another great university over there for another great professor to work with him because he thinks he's Gordon Rupp, uh, um, Professor Moll's private tutor, private student, protege, which we'd only met accidentally, providentially, in one single lunch. So he gets the very best of both those universities, just like he knew something when he didn't know anything, because it was just Jesus moving in on his behalf. Because there were two people who said, Jesus, we're just going to trust you and march to a different drummer. And if we perish and look like fools, so be it. So be it. But you, he had done something so real in our hearts, so sweet in our hearts, so deeply in our hearts, we just couldn't settle down to an eight-to-five job. We said, God, you've got to do something with this anyway. Just please don't let us settle down to the mediocre. We want to set out on you. And I think God is saying that today. If you don't see any way to survive, praise Jesus. Just praise him and just nestle into him and say, Oh, Jesus, I want to trust you. And if you have more month than money, praise Jesus. Get on your knees and say, Jesus, I have more month than money. And if you have babies and you want to stay home, say, Jesus, you make a way. You, there's no one else in the world that can be your child's mother. There's thousands of lawyers. There's thousands of PhDs. There's thousands of nuclear scientists. But in the whole world, you and you alone are that mother. And there's an opportunity for you that God can never give back if you and I miss it. And the world does not tell us those things. The world says, make something of yourself and be a nuclear scientist. And if you are a mother, that is an inferior position. I think we march to the world. And God is calling us as women to say, rise up. And Jesus, what are you saying to me? Jesus, what are you saying to us as a couple? And is there anyone out there that will sit, just step out into the full will of God? And if we don't make it, it is all right. We have tried. And if we're fools, it is all right. Because people will say, you are a fool. And that's exactly what Jesus said. He said they will think it is in the foolish things that, that the world is one for Jesus Christ. It is in the foolishness of preaching. It is the foolishness of selling out to the full will of God. It is the foolishness of giving your life as a living sacrifice that people can know God. And God is calling us to that today. And how many times? They're just the opportunity of being in Bible study. The opportunity of working in Wilmore with women who are going to touch the globe. I remember when it hit me, and I had five women in my living room, and all my kids, so I had four kids, and at night we'd meet in discipleship. I'd have four different, four different states in a country. And I began to think, man, Jesus, I can sit here in my living room, and if you could do something in me, that, Lord, there could be a discipling that would go on that could touch the world. 
And then, but then I thought, now surely everybody would see this tremendous opportunity. Surely, you, I mean, we couldn't hold people back. But do you know what the crying need in Bible study is? Women my age. And God can take you as a homemaker and put rivers of living water that flow out of your life, out of your family, out of your children's lives, and out of your little world and touch the world for God. And he's just saying, oh, can you not give me a few like that? Do you know what the most thing I love about being a homemaker is that my time is, there's time to pray. You can pray in the night, you can pray in the morning, you can pray in your vacuum, you can pray when you wipe off counters, you can pray when you do laundry. There's, you can intercede. I mean, it is a joy. Let God move into your soul and say, Oh Lord, fill me with yourself. So there is an intercession. But do not be surprised when the world says, Now that you've got all your kids in school, what are you going to do? Are you going to make something out of your life now? I know because they've said it to me. And the only way you and I can withstand the pressure of our culture and us as Christian women to be able to even think a different thought or a Jesus thought, as radical as they are in our day, is that you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit and that his power comes into our life and there's a passion for Jesus Christ and that we live in his word enough so that we feed our souls and we do not die on the vine. And that you and I begin to meet with women to be able to say, is there anyone out there that has a passion for Jesus? Is there anyone out there that would just like to go gung-ho for Jesus Christ? I think God is calling us to that today. And do you know what he says? That's in one area. He said, you and I have a different citizenship. And he said, they may say to you, you're crazy. That's happened a lot of times. But in the long run, sooner or later, if you and I just keep on keeping on, you know what's going to happen? Sooner or later, there's going to be that sweetness that begins to flow out of Jesus that some of the people that have been the loudest critics to how you've lived and how I've lived will say, "Um, would you just pray for me? I had one of our mothers tell me yesterday, her mama's not a believer, and she just... uh, Said, but she called and said, could you have those girls on that prayer chain just pray? And even though they don't understand how she's living, our, this seminary wife, and don't understand the call of God in her life, they are beginning to see that there's something in her life that they need. And who is that one? It is Jesus. Then he says, you and I are going to have to relate to the state. And how do we relate to the state? We are model citizens to the point that it does not interfere with our relationship to worship God. And the key verse, the key essence of this whole chapter, and the key essence of the rest of Peter are two words. Now you better just hold tight to your seats because you you may tar and feather me today. Two words that you will not want to hear. The two words that he emphasizes here are submission, submission, submission. Did you hear it? Submission. He said, as you have submitted to Christ in chapter 1 through 2 will 10 and made him Lord of all, 
Now you're to submit to one another, and you're submit to the government, and you're submit to your employers or employees, your employers, and slaves are to submit to their masters, and you are to submit in your home, and you are to submit in your family relationships, and our example and submission is Jesus Christ. And then the next thing, not only is the word submission, but the next word is suffering. And if you and I walk the walk with Jesus Christ, there will be pain. There will be suffering. You will pay a price. And your reward will not come here. Your reward will be there. And you and I have to recognize it. That it will be costly. There will be red roses that come in. There will be times you will get a degree from a school you have no idea. You couldn't have dreamed about if you had dreamed. There will be those extra red roses where God moves into your life over and over again. But on the other hand, there will be times you will be misunderstood and it will be painful. There will be times you will be rejected and it will be painful. There will be times you will be despised and it will be painful. There will be times that it will just be painful. And it will be because of that love relationship with Jesus Christ. And you and I have to be willing to say, Lord, yes, I submit to you. And then I am willing to lay down my life that others might get to know you. And to be submissive in my relationships. And yes, Lord, I am willing to pay a price to walk with you in holiness of heart. I'd like to make it easier. I'd like to be just like Peter was. Where he said, now Lord, wait a minute. This isn't what I had in mind. Look, I'm just going to ask you into my heart. And then I just want you to bless me. Help me, heal me, make me a success, and financially put in thousands of dollars in my bank account. That's what I want. And then, Lord, don't forget my best friend either over here. You know, that's what, and that's what our, our evangelical community wants in America. You send me $100 and then just watch the 100000 come in. And ladies, it is an L-I-E lie. If you have faith, everybody who you know will get well. It is an L-I-E lie. We live in a broken world and some live and some don't live. And what you and I have to come to is God and your will no matter what. If I live, I live. If I die, I die. Thy will be done, dear Jesus, thy will. He can touch in a moment. And he many, many times does. But he's God and he's not going to be put into boxes with our games and our manipulation. And we are fools if we think that. He is the eternal God and he deserves our respect and our obedience and our allegiance. And the end does not come down here. The end comes there. And you and I need to live for a heavenly country and live in absolute devotion to Jesus Christ. And it will mean if you and I are to be holy, you and I will have to walk in obedience, in submission. And we have to be willing to pay the price. Why? Why? Why is it worthwhile? Why is it worthwhile? That's what the world cannot understand. What could there be about Jesus that makes that worthwhile? What could there be? I remember one of the stories that I loved to hear my dad tell when he preached. When I was a little girl, I would hear him preach. He preached every Sunday morning. Then we had an afternoon service, and he preached there. And we all went because it was 
like in Albany, like 30 or 40 miles away. And then we'd come back for evening service. So my brother and I heard lots of his messages. <laughs> and we got so the afternoon, we just stretched out in a long pew and both of us just napped. But I remember hearing one of them and one of them I just loved. And he told about one of the, he was in one of his churches and he had four country churches in North Carolina. And while he was there, one of the women taught a Sunday school class and she found Jesus. She'd been teaching it. But after he got there and was preaching the gospel, the Sunday school teacher found Jesus. Have you ever heard of that before? So then she started preaching, teaching Jesus in Sunday school. Well, this was not the agenda that the Sunday school class had in mind. And she had maybe had been saved and quickened by the Spirit, but the rest of those people in that class had not. And after a period of time, they just politely removed her from her class and said, honey, said, you're just a roaring fanatic and we'd just rather have somebody who just didn't make us all feel guilty every week when we came to Sunday school. So they just replaced her. Well, the little lady that found Jesus was immediately longing for God to reach her husband. And his name was Tom. And um, she came to my daddy, devastated, crushed, hurt by all her friends in the Sunday school class. And she said, this never has happened to me before. And he said, well, this is, you're walking the walk. And it's painful. She said, well, I'm just going to leave them. They're all just mean and hateful. And I don't like them. He said, no. He said, we need to ask Jesus to give you Calvary love for the very people that have hurt you. Calvary love. And he said, you're to go back next week, sit on the front row, and just pray for the new Sunday school teacher and ask Jesus to love every single one in that group. Pray for them every day. And he said, what you'll do is preach a more powerful sermon sitting there in love every week, praying for them, than you will ever teach by all your talk from the podium. She said, I can't do that. I just think I'll die. He said, yes, but you won't. You just will feel like it. Are you willing? So she knelt there with him in full surrender and said, yes, I am willing. So she went back Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and listened and prayed and loved. Well, old Tom at home was so mad. And he said, why are you going there just being sweet to those people that hurt you? I just don't understand it. If I could, I'd just mop up the aisle with them. They're just a bunch of low-down, lousy hypocrites. And I don't know why. And he just went, and she'd go, Tom, Tom, don't talk like that. It just grieves Jesus' heart. And she'd say, you don't, we don't want to respond like that. And, she'd, and he'd just be mad. And so she had Tom at home, and she just kept holding on to Jesus and going back, and then the cold people in the church. And as they began to warm up at church, and Tom began to calm down, she just kept walking the walk and not doing much talking. And one Saturday night, she came and got into bed, and Daddy told the story of all of a sudden she felt somebody next to her in bed and it was Tom and he was weeping, 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 weeping. 
And she said, Tom, what's the matter? He said, I don't know. I never paid any attention to what you were talking about. But he said, there has got to be something that has happened inside you where you can love the very people that hurt you the most. You can keep on loving them. And he said, I'm angry and you're sweet. And he said, I want what you have. Could you lead me to Jesus? So even though God allowed the pain on one side <laughs> that ultimately worked the salvation of some of those very people. He gave her the greatest joy that he could have possibly given her. And that was that Tom found Jesus because of the faithfulness of her walk, even in the midst of the pain and the suffering. That's what I think this chapter is about. Why do we do it? Because Jesus is our example. And he said we are to follow in his steps. Do you remember the book written about Jesus to follow in his steps? With this I'm almost through. Remember where it says, Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. The little book that's a classic now by Shelton. And it tells about a man that came to a, a town and the, the preacher was there and this old man stopped, or young man, 32, and stopped, but he was like a vagabond. And he said, man, I need work. I'm out of work. My wife's just died. And he said, I need work. And the preacher said, well, I'm sorry, I can't help you because I'm studying my message. And I'm in the middle of the throes of my sermon preparation. And it's on 1 Peter 2, 21, that Christ suffered for us and we should follow in his steps. And he said, but I'll, I'll pray for you and I hope you find something. And he sent him on his way. And went back to polish his message. Well, the next morning he gave a very polished message. And everything was wonderful and he was very pleased with it. A week later, he came back and was doing, was again in the pulpit. And at the end of his polished sermon, who shows up but the man that had come to his door, the tramp. And he said to the pastor whose name was Maxwell, he said, could I say something at the end of this very sophisticated service? Well, he said, this isn't usually done. He said, I know. But he said, I need to say something to you church people. He said, I've heard a lot about the gospel. But he said, I've been among you for a week. And except for a kind word from a pa your pastor before he sent me on my way, I have not gotten to first base with anybody here in town. And he said, my wife's died. I've been uh, replaced by a machine. I'm a printer, a print, layout print, and I can't find it, any job. I have a child that somebody else is keeping. And he said, I have tuberculosis. And he said, I just wish I'd been able to find in this town people who really did follow in Jesus' steps like your preacher preached about last week. And with that, the man died of consumption. And the f just... Or he fell down ill and a week later died. The preacher was shaken. And the next time they met together, he said, I want to challenge you people, would there be anyone here that for one year 
would seek to live their life and follow in his steps and do only what Jesus would do in every single situation and begin to respond as Jesus would respond. And 50 people stayed after. And every Sunday they met the next year. And then last night I read the story again where they spend, they begin to work out in their lives what it means to follow in Jesus' steps. The first vignette is of the newspaper man. And he comes in and they said, we're going to devote three, pa- three, a whole page to the prize fight. And all of a sudden the newspaper man has said no. He said, I don't think God wants three pa- that much time given to prize fights. In fact, I'm not sure he wants that at all. And I'm not sure he wants liquor advertisements. And I'm not sure he wants a Sunday paper. And he began to radically transform the newspaper. And he began to, people began to say, you're crazy. You'll never make a go of it. And then it talked about the man who ran the, the, the was the head of the railway. And he found out that his, his the railway was, was by, in corruption. So he had to turn in the people over him for corruption. And he immediately lost his job. And then the one that began to say, we've got a big problem down in the slums. And nobody's doing anything. And some of the wealthy people began to go down and sing down there and preach down there and pray down there. And God began to move in the town of Raymond and revival began to break out. But not without a cost. It was redemptive, but it was costly. And I think Jesus is saying to us today, Are there any of you today that are willing to be made willing to follow in his steps even though it goes the way of the cross and that you and I would have a commitment to not what is expedient, not what is convenient, but to that that is right at any price, at any cost. And that you and I would begin to live our lives in obedience to Jesus so that we are squeaky clean. And that there is a difference in our lives from the people around us. Jesus is asking for some today who say yes. Though it costs me everything, I am willing to follow in your steps. And where did it take Jesus? Took him to Calvary. But what happened out of Calvary? The redemption of the world. And if you and I walk in obedience to him, even though it is incredibly painful, that pain will be redemptive. In our lives and in the lives of others, even if we never see it. And we need to come to the place where we say, Yes, Lord, I trust myself to you no matter what your will is. I will to do your will. And we can bear anything if we believe it's redemptive. Do you remember the story of Eric Little? Of chariots of fire? He would not run on Sunday for his country 
that he, when he was, he ended up his life in a concentration camp during the Second World War. And he took the children up there and he gave them excellent training in sports, even on Sundays, so their guards would not, they wouldn't get in trouble with the guards. But while he was in that concentration camp, he died. He died of a brain hemorrhage. And you know what his last words were to the nurse who was taking care of him? Her name was Annie. And he said, Annie, it's all surrender. It's all surrender. And do you know what? He went to heaven and he never knew the impact of his life. Even in that one movie, in those books of Chariots of Fire, in a man who was willing to pay the price for Jesus Christ and go to heaven saying, it's all surrender. And do you know what? That is the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A clean heart and a submitted will that bears itself out in obedience and a willingness to suffer and pay the price for walking with God in a lost and broken world. Let's pray. Jesus, these are hard sayings today. <laughs> when you shared in John 6 about if you want to follow me, you must, you must eat my, drink my blood and eat my body because I'm the bread of life. And Lord, the Jews said, these are hard sayings. Who can hear them? And they went away. And Jesus turned to the twelve and said, Will you also leave? And Lord, we're talking about serious discipleship today. Because if we are going to really make a difference on a lost world, there needs to be total surrender and a willingness to pick up the towel, to pick up the checkbook, to give our whole lives to you, Jesus that out of our lives Jesus would shine and that a lost world might be reached. Now, Lord, there's not one of us able to do this in and of ourselves. Only your Holy Spirit can so touch our hearts, Lord, that we're like Peter. And Jesus said, Peter, will you go away also? And he said, Lord, to whom shall I go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And Father, the beautiful thing about walking with you is even when the pressure gets on more and more, your presence gets sweeter and sweeter and sweeter and sweeter because you call us to yourself. Lord, I pray today that you might draw us today that there might be full surrender and a willingness to submit and a willingness to pay the price, to know you, to be known by you, and to enter into a love relationship with Jesus himself. Oh God, do a new thing in us. Set us on fire with a passion for you. Oh Jesus, we plead the blood. In Jesus' precious name.